Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Zlatko Onger. Um, Zlatko is the current head of IT and security at a company called Elation. And going back a bit, reviewing your bio, I see that you started off working at one of the big four, one of the big uh, accounting firms back in 2006, I think. Um, You held a couple of positions before you moved into the payment space. I believe that was with First Data, uh, holding a position of security and compliance manager and, you know, uh, moving up the ladder as a security program manager, director of security and compliance. Uh, before landing at your current position uh, three, three and a half years ago. Um, if you wanted to step in and introduce yourself properly, that would be excellent. Oh, thanks, Ben. Uh, Zlatko Unger, you can call me Z. Right now I'm responsible for IT and security at Lation. I was the first hire here and have grown the team quite a bit to support the business needs and help our customers. Thank you for that, Z. Um, you know, before we do a deep dive, I typically, I just want, uh, you know, to put you at ease. I'm not going to ask you anything too challenging, too technical, too revealing about your company. Uh, although you're probably much more technical than I am by now. But uh, I, the, the main intent of this podcast is basically to create some quality content and to educate our listeners uh, and, and, you know, provide them with some insight into leading uh, CISOs in the industry. Um, so this podcast will be focused about you, uh, not specifically about your company. We're not, again, not uh, exp- expecting you to divulge any and all sensitive information. Uh, and with that, before we do a deep dive and before, you know, I ask you a bunch of questions about your journey, uh, if you're willing to share your marital status and favorite drink, that would be excellent. Ooh, uh, mar- uh, so I'm married with, with uh, one four-year-old quite chaotic hero uh, that keeps me, uh, takes the rest of my energy. <laughs> and uh, in terms of a favorite drink, I'm a big fan of um, uh, like 10% and plus uh, Belgian uh, beers. Uh, so like a triple uh, or a quadruple, uh, those are, that's my jam. But I don't drink that often uh, since uh, I, I rather uh, spend spend my time uh, cycling and and try to keep uh, uh, the aging to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the triple and quadruple quadruple with Belgian beer? I'm familiar with that. Uh, so I'm I'm not a big expert into beers. It, just the the way that it is produced. Um, I don't have the specifics. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Again, I'm not a big drinker. <laughs> Got it. Uh, okay. I mean, I like beers. <clears throat> I like beers as well. I just, I, I know what I like. I know what I don't like. I don't, and I don't necessarily know how to explain why I like it, if that makes sense. Same with wine. And, you know. Yeah. 
But uh, okay, yeah, so, so, so it's please. actually like the, the, the body of, of the drink, uh, it, it's, it's thicker, it's uh, darker, and it, it's, it's meant to be sipped instead of, you know, watching Gulped. a sports game. And, you know, yeah, and gulp, yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I think one of my favorite beers is Left Brown, which I think is Belgian as well. And I think it qualifies uh, to that description. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, let's dive, let's do a deep dive right now. Uh, if there's one thing you wish you'd known before you begin a career, what would that be? Um, so the, the, the way that I pause is that, uh, you know, reflecting back on the question, it's, there's just so many things that are unknown unknowns going into it. And the other part is that the industry changes. The way that my career at KPMG uh, kind of when it came to an end was because the market, uh, in the markets have changed around the recession where the team became more focused on selling enterprise software and consulting services rather than doing true cybersecurity because that the, the business demanded uh, a revenue line and this is the only way to move forward. Uh, for me, it was to, you know, cybersecurity wasn't really a thing back in college and I like computers, I like uh, IT, and there's nobody to kind of give you an idea what's what's behind the scenes since what you see in your classes doesn't really reflect what the real world is. You know, Twitter was not what it is today where you could learn more about cybersecurity. Uh, it's not a common as common theme. So I would say that having more interactions with individuals um, that that are in the field that uh, can say, hey, this is this is what what's behind the curtain. These are the possibilities, the ways that you can go, the work that you'll be doing. Don't go this path because you're going to be a copy and paste data entry monkey. Go here. You're going to be able to meet some very interesting humans and you know uh, bond and have relationships and th- that will help you accelerate your career. And I didn't have that until you know, well into my stint on KPMG, where I realized what I'd rather be doing uh, than all of the engagements that I was on. <clears throat> okay, and you know, when trying to educate young listeners out there that are just, you know, uh, starting to embark on their cybersecurity careers, uh, and typically I ask this uh, as, as we go forward with the podcast, but uh do you do you feel that there's any other way to you know to gain that insight before landing like your first position and really understanding what's going on? I, I would say that there you know the the world is a little bit more vocal. There are very good uh, groups or and communities around the internet that cater towards beginner to moderate to you know like very high level, very technical discussions on any cybersecurity topic. You know, there's uh, several different subreddits on Reddit. There's InfoSec Twitter. Uh, I'm sure that there's some other groups uh, around. But uh, I would say that for any entry role, being plugged in and browsing around, seeing the content of, uh, you know, one of the InfoSec <laughs> uh, Twitter celebrities uh, <laughs> or certain subreddits uh, to kind of gain an insight, to see the talk, the, the, the talk and see uh, both the discussion on the the technical side as well as the the business and strategic side, and you know learn the acronyms, learn what's hot, and uh, kind of 
build that in back of your head so when you have a conversation with somebody in person via zoom what ha what have you that you're able to grasp on those concepts um and and not be lost as to what was going on what what conversations uh, you came in the other thing to do is to come out to a conference if your company will sponsor you or if you're around uh, for rsa or black hat uh, b-sides uh, wherever they might be or defcon and interact with others and you know see kind of repeat that process but in person and make those connections uh, there okay uh yeah i would say good advices uh twitter so that's the you know learning from twitter that's very millennial i, I would say uh don't you feel by the way that there would be a bias of like uh you know social media and like and the way it is in learning through that channel though it's more of learning who the people are that are driving the discussion on several different topics and where they're pointing in the to, to different resources outside of the website as to where the discussion is happening on that topic. So I remember back when I was working for First Data, going on Twitter, whenever there was a new CV, a new uh, vulnerability that was affecting massive systems around the world, that Twitter was much easier to point towards a resource that had the analysis rather than reading some blog posts on a security um, vendor's website or something along those lines that kind of gives you the high level but doesn't give you the details that you can apply and, and you know, push, push the conversation towards somebody who can take action. Secondly, in terms of the individuals that are on Twitter, you know, CISOs that I have worked for to young individuals that have are just about to graduate college are on there interacting on the same topics and it kind of evens the ground uh, in terms of the the conversation and you know nobody knows the background story nobody knows that you're you know you know some whiz kid that has five books published under them versus somebody who is you know a junior in in high school but at the same time it allows you to see what's out there and kind of intrigue your interest you know is it is it incident um, response is it is it uh, red teaming or is it more policy related and how you know is there a gap between what cybersecurity is to operational to privacy risk and at the end of the day is to kind of give you as much information as possible so that way as you're growing your career you know the the areas that you can dive in because you might be stuck in a company that doesn't have uh, the resources or the departments where you want to grow and this can lead to a connection. Um, there was an individual the other day, yesterday, that um, you know quit his job uh, and then mentioned, now I am an engineer at a big uh, retail company in Washington. Uh, <laughs> and he got the job because he made the connection on Twitter. It's, mm. it's, it's there to connect people. You, know, there, you can say the same thing for about LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is, 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 is Facebook. It's corporate Facebook, basically. Uh, and you're not going to make the same connections there. Got it. Okay. And, and again, looking at the beginning of your career, uh, what would you say, like, I mean, I'm sorry, looking at your journey so far, can you identify like mm -hmm. a single biggest failure and, you know, your key takeaway from that? Yeah. So I think this is a very good transition to this, to, to that question. Um, one of the things that I noticed growing my career, and this is back in Atlanta, Georgia, was that I was very limited uh, in terms of what companies are, you know, where I could grow my career. There's lots of huge corporations where, you know, you put in your time, you're going to get promoted, but you're going to be 
focused on a very specific area of um, the very specific area of uh, a, a certain part of all of that that is cybersecurity. So when I, I came to the Bay Area and realized that there is more to it, you could be in a role where you're wearing different hats. Every day is different. You wake up excited about the new challenges for the day or you know, whatever you have left over from the previous day. And I would say that the, the biggest um, failure was not realizing that sooner and staying in Atlanta for longer. But again, that's my journey. Some, some are more comfortable working with bigger companies, but I, I like to thrive and like to wear different hats. I'm, I'm a ball guy, so like I have to wear a hat all the time. Um, I can relate. And, and, you know, <laughs> and I, I, I see myself, um, I, you know, I saw myself um, just, just kind of like open my eyes as to what's possible and where I could be the driver and screw up and, and get things right but at the same time own it and feel that something that I brought from nothing uh, can thrive in, 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 in a bigger company or in a different direction. Okay, interesting. Um, interesting that you consider that as a failure though. Um, what would you say well, then? It's, that... it's... Yeah, please go ahead. I think of it, I think of it, you know, it, I, I should have, you know, immediately after uh, um, leaving college or perhaps after my stint then uh, KPMG said, okay, like West Coast, let's see what's out there. Uh, and holding myself back a couple of years and not, not getting that traction um, a little bit earlier on, I think was um, sort of a failure from a, a standpoint. Uh, since I, I thought to myself upon graduating from, I was doing night school, got my MBA, and going like, is this it? Like, is this going to be like the next 30 years of just doing this? And then realizing, whoa, like there's so much more to it. This is amazing. Yeah. I get to do a lot of different things. And um, failure as in I, I, I didn't realize that mul multiple years ahead of time. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I have a similar experience. Uh, what would you say then that your biggest accomplishment was? I think... You know, you can always say the, the work that you do for a company is the biggest accomplishment. You did a huge project that took multiple years. You got a pat on the back. You you got, you know, uh, an Amazon gift card or what have you. But at the end of the day, I would say the building effective teams, being the, the first hire and then building a team that can take that checkbox activity. Do we have X? Yep. Does it work? Eh, let's not Let's not worry about that going beyond and maturing the process and having those individuals and hiring right and have them expand and achieve the next level of whatever it is, maturity, uh, agreement with the customer, what have you. I would say creating those teams and looking for the right individuals that can fit those roles and take it to the next level uh, has been a great accomplishment, especially as a, as a uh, person manager. Got it. Um... Let's assume I'm, you know, um, someone new to the industry. I'm just uh, getting started with cybersecurity as a career. What advice would you give me as someone that's just starting off? Yeah, so uh, besides going to conferences, which can be expensive, and if your employer doesn't want to pay for them or you don't have the money, um, you could go into um, a local DEF CON chapter. You can join uh, the aforementioned uh, communities in Twitter, Reddit, 
Um, there might be some Discord server that I'm not aware of. And you know, start making those connections. Um, create those internet friends. And one day, you're going to have an opportunity to meet them in person. It's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, those individuals that have walked the walk before you can help you out, can point you to the right uh, direction, can make the connection at the next company that you could work for that has that opportunity that you're seeking. I would say every single job that I have had was due to the connections that I had. So somebody uh, that I worked for before worked for the company that I got hired. And without having those connections, and as an introvert, it's, it's difficult, but creating your own brand, being out there, and you know, just trying new things leads to the next step to, to grow your career. And you know, uh, I was I ask about the the role of the CISO as part of uh, as being part of the IT organization. And I'm not sure what's your corporate structure and if you you know fall under the IT or not. But uh, there are two schools of thoughts on that. And I, I just wanted to to get your thought your thoughts on like the CISO position as it relates to the IT organization. Did you think like if a CISO reports to the IT organization, what are your thoughts like? Cons, pros. So it, it depends. Every different, every company has a different reporting uh, structure. I've been a part of, uh, you know, under general counsel. I've been uh, under CFO. I've been under a data, uh, chief data officer, and I've been, you know, like stuck in the tail end of engineering um, in my function. I would say IT and security coexist. It's a yin and a yang, right? Um, IT is enablement. Here, you have this cool new thing to get your job done. Here's a laptop, here's a camera, here's a mouse, what have you, you're enabled. And security is the yang. It's, uh, hey, how about not doing X or Y because you're putting yourself, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're creating risk, you're putting company's data uh, in a bad place, you're not following procedure. And together, um, you know, IT and security work together in order to better uh, the company uh, enable and protect. Now, in terms of the alignment to IT, I would say a CISO and you know the CIO can be the same person, or they can be peers, or they can be um, you know peers on different in different reporting structures. You know, the CIO under um, the COO and the CISO directly under the CEO, or vice versa. It doesn't really matter as long as there's synergy between the two, as long as there is a good relationship, or um, if that role is centralized into one, one person, that there is enough feedback from others to not have it so skewed by, by per personal taste or preference. Well, obviously, I mean, if it's the same person, I think that's your role, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it's, can, yeah, you have responsibility. I mean, you have, you will be accountable for both spaces. So, right. Yeah. But, but the thing is, you know, the way that I look at it is my, my ask is to manage risk. And I know that the, the easy way to a solution is just to say no, no, no to whatever the ask is, but it's a risk-based approach. It should be no, but, and I have to hold myself accountable to see it from both perspective, uh, from, from an IT perspective, from a security perspective, and then uh, from, from the end user's perspective to make that decision. So that way it's, it's balanced, but at the same time to check in and get input from others uh, on the team or, or some of my peers in order to make sure that my, my take on it is aligned because I could be biased by, by the things that I see that I'm not aware yeah. of. Um, for example, I consider, um, not consider, uh, I was 
uh, I was told that I am uh, being too paranoid uh, in my current role. And I call myself uh, uh, chief paranoid officer because I always think of the worst case scenario, the, the, the riskiest thing when somebody comes to, with a question or, or a way of doing things. And I've constantly have to level myself and say, hey, am I looking at it in the right light? What is really at stake here? What is that risk? And again, you know, there's no fancy schmancy risk ranking papers and, you know, it's not very formal, but it's, it's mostly a conversation uh, to, to see how, how to strike that balance of being approachable, but also being enabled or be, having the ability to enable somebody else. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, what, um, in your opinion, like, and you've been in the, this industry for a while now, what has helped you best? Like, what are the best resources that you've used, uh, you know, to better educate yourself, to, to, to move ahead in the industry and, and all that? I would say that having uh, mentors along the way helped a, very, uh, a good amount. Having somebody who has walked the walk before you, somebody who has experienced ebbs and flows of, of the economy and how it impacts the security sector um, or, or the security of an organization. Um, and as I, I have you know, walked on, on, on my career, up my career ladder, um, having those mentors really helped me define what I should be looking for in my next role, rather than, you know, saying I want something else and not, you know, uh, tuning my search for a specific role. Um, those those mentors have you know opened my eyes to what's possible, but at the same time created the necessary connections to have those conversations with whatever uh, roles I was considering at the time. Um, also. Mm, through mentorships, you know, reading the right materials, checking out the right blogs, you know, looking at the right <laughs> infosec Twitter uh, folks definitely helped me shape um, my view and also expand my view to uh, what what's out there. Um, you know, ha having a conversation with somebody that you admire and asking like, hey, can, can you mentor me because I want to I want to do what you did, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, what have you. Is difficult, but it bears a lot of fruit down the line. Mm -hmm. And by the way, are you open to um, mentoring anyone in the industry? If oh, someone definitely. would, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, great. So we'll get to how those individuals might be able to connect with you as we move Certainly. forward here. Um, is there like one common myth about uh, our profession that you wanted to debunk? <sighs> I would say that that we are all knowing. So in, in my previous few roles, there was an ask that to understand the complete financial impact, business impact, technology, understanding of the technology, the behind scenes pieces, and that somebody is all rounded or that, that in my role, I, I know all of the aspects from wearing every hat from major business functions. And that's not the case. It, usually I have to go and ask the, you know, our, our manager of, of the DevSecOps, you know, how does this, this thing work? I don't have the time capacity to, you know, spend eight hours to understand how a certain function of AWS works, but because it's something that you, but he'll be able to provide context and summarize at a business level that I can go like, oh, I get it. Okay. This, this is good. This is bad. And having those around you to enable you to make those decisions quickly. But again, 
you know, there, there are certain staff that sends over a very technical document or something that is very financial or oriented and says, oh, do your magic, you know, from a security perspective. And, you know, having the ability to, to raise, the question, raise a hand and like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Please, you know, guide me what you need me to do because this is outside my domain expertise. Mm -hmm. Because if you wear that, if you say to yourself, oh, I know it all, I'm the best at, you know, all these different uh, business domains, you're going to make a mistake because you're not, unless you're, you know, some, you know, uh, inhuman creature. <laughs> um, in your opinion, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have? Oh, uh, I would say that um, every CISO that I talk to, to some extent, ransomware is something that is buried on every, behind everybody's head. Even though those individuals might be working for a smaller company that is, you know, utilizing Linux machines or their Macs, um, just the fact that ransomware exists—it's not a problem that had that has been solved. And there's, you know, you might not be vulnerable, but your vendor is, and your vendor has all your data. Therefore, it, it creates uh, downstream effects, and you you. Mm, you might feel safe or you, you go sleep, sleep at night knowing that all of the things that you're responsible for are in a good state. However, the vendor risk is always something that, you know, keeps one eye open. Uh, well, I sleep, that's a bad analogy, but I, I think you get my meaning. Um, and given that we're so dependent on different vendors, we're, we're not hosting um, services internally like we used to back in the day. Everything is a service in the cloud somebody else's cloud, uh, the way the data moves, the mistakes that are being made by, by um, you know, just human, being human, um, create avenues of, 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 of threats and potential issues down the line. Um, so I spent a lot of my time understanding the impact of, you know, from a privacy perspective, where data is being stored, what type of data is there, and what type of pr protections those vendors have. And knowing, you know, how risky certain uh, contracts are with those vendors, and where we can be protected, and you know, how are uh, how how good is their insurance? Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit more about and uh, try to unpack more about <clears throat> the this the role of the CISO nowadays. In your opinion, what are the most important skills that the CISO nowadays should have? I would say um, having that presence, that executive presence, being able to sit in front of non-security people and explain why a certain thing is happening, either why we're moving from one technology to another, why we're implementing um, a higher state of security through another uh, tool, and summarizing it at a very top level because if you start going off the acronyms, if you start going into the details of potential threats and risks and everything else, you, you lose the audience. But if you're able to speak to very high level, who's asking for it, what we're doing, and how it's going to be done, and summarizing it as an exec, like at the executive level and disseminating it amongst um, you know, the, the, the masses, the entire company, helps achieve goals uh, much easier than having, you know, for example, a slide that has, you know, 50 bullets and everybody gets lost in the details. Staying up high 
and explaining it um, definitely bears bears fruit down the line. Mm -hmm. But in order to stay up high, as you said, so uh, I mean, let me rephrase. What's mm -hmm. the like the combination that you think a Caesar should have between like technical know-how, you know, it, whether it's IT related, software development related, business related, vendor management? You, you mentioned vendor management, compliance, and all that. Like, did you have like you know a, a perfect mix that you can think of? Yeah. Sure. So. Um... One one key is consistency because you're presenting, uh, you might be presenting the same information in, uh, in front of different audiences, a specific group on a project, a steering committee, and then perhaps all company. Everybody has a different level of engagement, but the data needs to be consistent. And having a balance between you know those those broad, very simple um, decks that 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 that. Or, or slides that have the information and then providing the appendix and the, the nitty gritty details behind the scenes help those that are super technical, they skip in like, I, I, this is too simple. Oh, all the details are here. Or those like, whoa, that's too many details. I need it simplified, can go there. Having that consistency, but also the breadth in the presentation um, helps. I've uh, included appendix, uh, appendices uh, in, in many of the presentation and I've asked my staff to do the same in order to get those that need more details additional information but those that want to keep it high level okay this is this is the status all right i'm good to go got it uh thank you for that so in other words though you're saying that as a CISO, you need to have some kind of like business i'm not going to say business training but business knowledge you need to understand like the business but you also need to understand like at some level to be able to speak like you know other domains like you know as i mentioned like software development and it yeah. and all that was that uh, well, correct well I, the, the way i think of it is is the presentation of the data understanding what your business does and where it's vulnerable is the other part that you know, anybody at that le at this level needs to understand and might not know how, you know, clicking a button, you know, say that you work for software, what clicking a button activates on the back end, but knowing that the, the, those technologies on the back end exist and what they do to some extent helps. At the same time, not ignoring non-technical parts of the business, you know, ignoring, you know, your peers in facilities or marketing or those areas that are not as close to the security and knowing what it means for them because they're operating in similar worlds with similar tools that are more focused to their domains and you know being able to understand how you can protect their interactions while also enabling uh, them for business um, to, to get the business done okay and you know when you look at the industry and you go to events and conferences and you look at your peers in your opinion where do you think that this caesar role is going like what will be the next step in the evolution of a caesar like five years mm. from now, 10 years from now. Yeah, I, I think that um, the, the role of CISO ebbs and flows, right? So we've seen a very high increase of a need of a security officer that reports to the CEO. And then we slowly started those seeing those roles fall on the sword. What happened to Target? What happened to um, Equifax, Equifax? And many, yeah, many others. Uh, those roles are basically uh, gone. They're no longer, they're hidden. Um, you know, right now with Facebook, Google, and all of these big companies, those roles are kind of spread through different products and different teams. But I think it's an ebb and flow because there's slowly an increase to have that responsibility because 
vendors, investment, investors, and partners are looking for somebody, one person, to be responsible for all of the uh, security initiatives around the company because they want to know that, cool, you have somebody who's responsible for the security product. What about the rest of the organization? How, how, oh, it's, it's on IT? Do you have expertise there? Oh, it's, it's, it's out to a consultant? What? Um, so once somebody starts asking questions, and I've seen this in a lot of, uh, you know, Series A, Series B startups, um, that they realize, oh, well, we need somebody who, who can figure this out. We can no longer rely and have it yet another hat to, for our CTO to wear, for our, you know, head of DevOps to wear, or, you know, our, uh, we can't outsource this to, to, you know, <laughs> head of facilities or something like that. Um, and, and look for that role to come back up. I think from a very big corporation perspective, it's still going to be a little bit vague because they don't want to have that one individual that it can throw under a bus. But at the same time, for smaller companies, none, you know, multi-trillion <laughs> dollar companies, uh, it makes sense to have somebody. And I, I'm seeing a, an increase in the need earlier on in the company's growth rather than as a necessity, you know, way down the line. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, and... Talking a bit about the industry, uh, what do you think we will see in the cybersecurity space next? Whew. There, just like any other, every year there is a, a mix of FUD, mix of snake oil, and different startups and tooling. What I'm seeing a lot of is new players in the game that are focused on a specific um threat vector or a specific part of a uh, protection space that they're focusing on on. Whereas before you would have one tool that was responsible for magnitude of the different parameters. So I am seeing a lot more of uh, localization and hyper, uh, uh, you know, that focus into a uh, subset of technology to, to have that protected or providing additional service. And, you know, looking at uh, my peers and, and the spend we're having more and more vendors because, you know, the, the web from AWS cannot cover it all. The, you know, the, the, the vendor that we used for our VAP, you know, only does one thing, but we need more. Um, it doesn't support a certain technology, so we have to get another vendor. And basically, for lack of a better analogy, having like a multiple Venn diagram of um, similar services and then net new things that they do on the side to give you that level of complete protection or perceived protection, if you will, because nothing is 100%. Um, so I see a lot of that, but at the same time, there's a lot of movement of, you know, you know, we do X for Y and, and the whole Web3 shenanigans. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty and new explorers in this world. Um, and, you know, having those legacy uh, vendors react by acquisitions or creating the, the trying to create those services that meet those smaller players um i would say that my conversations with you know uh venture backed series a or or um you know those that <laughs> they're essentially two people in a garage uh types of types of companies that i've been interacting with to understand what they're trying to build and what they're protect has increased quite a bit whereas before those conversations were held with medium to big size players in the field Mm -hmm. Okay. Any changes or, you know, uh, specific trends that you're seeing as related to uh, budget planning 
like if we compare, you know, the the marketplace a few years ago, maybe pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. Hmm. So I, th I think the 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 way that the world has reacted to the pandemic, especially in terms of investment and all the money that that, that you know, all the businesses that were doing well, uh, and explosion of business uh, has created a lot of uh, purchasing of different tools and services that were not attained before because they were either too expensive, not needed, or needed, but there was uh, no funding for. And now we're getting to the point where we're kind of on the, on the down portion of, of that bit of a boom and seeing what truly matters, what is creating that ROI. Um, in my case, um, I, I, I'm very close to the budget, very close to the planning and helping finance and the business understand what we're investing in and where that where that ROI is. But at the same time, looking back at it, can is this a turn the lights on activity or am I getting, you know, X many thousands of dollars worth of ROI? Can I hire somebody in a different country? Can I hire a group of people that can do the same thing with spreadsheets and email than what this tool is providing us? And, you know, creating a balance of, you know, is, is this truly needed? And, you know, does it really affect the business in a positive way um, has been top of mind for me, at least for the, the, this year so far. Whereas, um, you know, I, I was always enabled to make the right decisions and, and get the right uh, tools to, to get my job done and enhance the enterprise. Okay, thank you for that clarification. What would you say, uh, what would you define as innovation in our space? Is it more along the lines of like, you know, new products, new services, or is it like uh, something different? For example, like how you monetize uh, services internally or anything else for that matter? Yeah, so I'm seeing a lot of different security vendors become uh, platforms or create that interconnectivity between two different applications. So that way you are uh, enabled with the, the tool set that you have, that you have the, the logs shifting one way, the alerts being uh, you know, made, made available, and you're taking the learnings from somebody else rather than st starting from scratch. So instead of, you know, if you are using a log vendor, they come prepared like, hey, you're using this technology stack, here are some rules that we saw worked for, you know, number of uh, companies that are your size. And, you know, having the interconnectivity through those platforms creates stickiness for those platforms. But at the same time, you can leverage the learnings of somebody else that was there before you in order to um, get to where you need to be a bit quicker. Um, I would say that, again, looking at to those hyper-specific uh, niche players in the industry, um, you know, they're all looking forward to be a stepping stone and then question mark, question mark uh, platform. And everybody's looking to be that centralized place to do X sort of activity. And, you know, platforms are great. And, you know, businesses are always looking for a way to leverage and make themselves sticky. And some of them are doing it pretty well. Others are, you know, miss missing the mark quite a bit. But I see more of interconnectivity between different tools. Um, instead of, you know, we, we take your logs and we push them here and that's the end of the day uh, deal. Uh, and, you know, how, uh, 
collecting those events from different sources, different tools, how all of them interact and how they work together and the partnership between them um, I've seen on the, on the rise. Yeah. On the other hand, um, you know, if you look at the, the amount of uh, acquisitions uh, and newly, uh, um, you know, newly founded unicorns out there, uh, I think the fallacy of the MVP, the minimum valuable product, you just, you know, was able to get you through, you know, the Series A, Series B, and get you to that place where you're considered a unicorn. I think this is where the challenge begins, right? Because this is what you're talking about. You're talking about maturing those platforms and those tools into something more than just like a foot to the door and, you know, just an initial installation and, you know, a, 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 like a, a show of proof of, you know, some basic capabilities. You're, you're talking about like the, the evolution of these tools and platforms. And I think that remains to be seen, just in my, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And it also depends, you know, from my perspective, I'm looking at it as a mature startup versus somebody who might be in the my position at a medium-sized enterprise company or a public company. The, the tools and the needs vary and the solutions uh, are, are might be limited to the price point. Um, I was looking at a vendor who, uh, between two vendors, one was based upon uh, the number of users, the other one was based upon uh, number of uh, API calls. And when we did the math, both of them were crazy expensive and outside of our budget that we went like, well, let's, you know, let's just take what AWS has and come back to this when we know that we can write a check with way too many zeros. Um, and it, it, you know, that perspective also depends on the players that you're working with, because if you're, you know, very close to your enterprise shops that have those security tools that you can get the, the, a great discount and you have one shop, one stop shop for, you know, with that vendor, be it, you know, Dell, AT&T and so on is very different than if you're looking from bottom up and looking at all of the different vendor space, looking at G2, looking at, you know, what your infosec Twitter friends have, uh, in order to make that decision of what, what's the right thing for your business. Okay, got it. Um, and um, well, we're actually almost out of time for today. And I know you have to go in a few minutes, but I just wanted to ask you a couple more questions about vendors. I'll keep it real quick. In your opinion, what should vendors stop doing? <laughs> uh, creating, um, uh, using uh, plug and play demos. Every single time that I go into a vendor conversation is like, I, I don't care about the demo that you're gonna show me. You're gonna show me that something that works out of the box. Here's the thing that I need, it, need this to, solution to do, give me that. And pre preemptively say that to the vendor. So that way when we go into the demo, it is catered towards my needs instead of like, you know, some use case scenario that might not even apply, but it works amazing and it shows all the, the, the features of the product. Um, and, and having, being able to cater that demo makes the conversation easier, uh, to, to go into second part is transparent pricing and not like question mark business question mark enter, enterprise. And, mm -hmm. you know, once you, once you look under the, the, the rug going, holy moly, this is, this is something that we can't afford. Okay. Thank you. Any, anyone you wanted to mention in terms of like the people that you look up? For uh, up to uh, any influencers that you that you follow, anything, anyone at all. I don't know anybody. Uh, shout out to anybody that follows me on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, 
if, if, if I may uh, do a, uh, a plug, uh, I am uh, Zlatty on Twitter, Z-L-A-T-T-Y. Uh, terrible posting there, but it's, it's more of uh, stress relief and uh, infosec <laughs> memes uh, than anything yeah. else. And is that your preferred method of communication, by the way? Yeah, anybody can contact me through there. Okay, so not LinkedIn. So you said... At, oh, LinkedIn uh, is fine too. If you find me on LinkedIn, send a note. Yeah, I'm, I'm available. Uh, so you said at Zlati? Yeah, Z-L-A-T-T-Y. Got it. Okay. Oh boy. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? I had one more question. Yeah, actually, you know what? I think we are all done. Uh, final question. If money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Ooh, um, buy a huge house somewhere in Croatia and uh, spend my time swimming in the ocean and biking uh, through Europe. And then hang out with my family, of course. That's, that's a given, but with, with my extra time. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, moving back to Croatia, like full-time or just, you know, like dividing your time between? Um, you really haven't thought that that group but mostly staying staying there uh i i i miss uh i miss uh living in croatia okay that's honest thank you for that um yeah and thank you again for taking the time today z uh it was a pleasure talking with you and i'm sure some of your answers would resonate with our listeners and maybe they could take you know some advice home and you know better themselves with that yeah thank you for having me My pleasure.